0: As a kid, my family went to church every week. In fact, if one of us were sick or if there was some catastrophic event that was prohibiting us from attending church, the rest of that week it just felt off. It felt like our sense of time had been altered because of our lack of participation in our community with our church. I, I was there a lot which meant that I heard a lot of sermons growing up. And with some pastors, you could almost anticipate where it was that they were going. Some of them told the same stories all the time. Some of them reverted back to similar passages all of the time. Some of them you could predict when they would cry in the sermon, which was a lot of fun for 13-year-old boys that were sitting in the back trying to stay out of trouble. But... Some of you have been listening to me speak for going on seven years, actually going on eight years, um, and with that, I would assume that there's specific patterns that you may have picked up on, or phrases, or, or themes that I come back to with regularity. That was something that came to my mind this past week when Laura texted me and wanted to know if I could find a link for her to a sermon that I did on a certain passage. And I knew immediately uh, one of the sermons because we were in the midst of a longer sermon series on this uh, particular text. We were looking at Isaiah 40 through 55 in the latter half of the first year of, of TRP being in existence and into the second year, mainly because we were navigating some difficult waters as a church, and we were attempting to reconcile our own doubts and struggles with the faithfulness of God that we see in this block of text. But as I reflected even further, it went beyond that sermon series, and this is something that I've come back to time and time and time again, often in moments like this, where we are confused, where we are scared, where we are anxious, where we are fearful uh, of what's happening, and some of our thoughts, perhaps, about God and what God is up to are shifting or being threatened by what we see in the world around us. I want to return again to this text tonight because I believe that it still has things to say. And perhaps like a familiar song, uh, this might strike some of the notes that will uh, bring about some some hope and some harmony and some shalom, some peace in our lives. This is Isaiah chapter 49, beginning in verse 13. It says, Sing heavens, rejoice earth, break out mountains with a song. The Lord has comforted his people and taken pity on those who suffer. But Zion says, the Lord has abandoned me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Fail to pity the child of her womb? Even these may forget, but I won't forget you. Look on my palms. I've inscribed you. Your walls are before me continually. Your builders come quickly. Those who destroy and demolish you will depart from you. Look up all around and see. They are all gathered. They come to you. As surely as I live, says the Lord, you will put them all on like ornaments. Bind them on like a bride. The word of God for the people of God. In order to understand Isaiah, we have to do a little bit of nerd work. And actually, this is like my fourth or fifth time through This sermon, and I keep paring it down because I know that you've heard this before. I I treasure this teaching where we get to talk about the three Isaiahs, and we have the different authors of Isaiah 1 through 39, and 40 through 55, and 56 through 66, and part of me just feeds on that because it's mildly controversial in some circles, and you know I like starting a little controversy sometimes in my teaching. Actually, uh, it shouldn't be controversial at all, though. That's the problem. And for some people, just because it says in the first couple verses of the book, these are the visions of Isaiah Ben-Amos, Isaiah son of Amos, who was an 8th century prophet, they believe that that means that the entire 66 chapters of this book must have been written and must have been the visions of that 8th century prophet, whereas most scholars would say there's a decided shift between chapters 39 and 40. They would say that, Isaiah 40 through 55, it's almost like it's a completely different author writing in a completely different time with a completely different context that that author or that authorial community is addressing. In Isaiah 1 through 39, we have the Assyrian Empire that's looming and threatening destruction over Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Uh, Remember, at this time, these are two completely different. Um, kingdoms with different kings and different militaries and different centers of worship and different political alliances. They're they're two different kingdoms. And eventually, uh, Assyria does, in fact, destroy Israel in 722 BC. And towards the end of Isaiah 1 through 39, there's a threat to Judah that the same will happen to them. And then in chapter 40, it's like we've completely moved into the future, 150 years in fact, and now we're not in the 8th century anymore, we're in the 6th century, and we're not looking at Assyrian uh, impending destruction, we are in the midst of the reality of Babylonian destruction of Judah. Jerusalem has been destroyed, the temple has been decimated, the people, um, the elite and the craftspeople and the tradespeople, they have been uprooted from their homes in in Judah and and taken into Babylonian captivity. And this is a massive problem. This is a theological quandary because these people were, were going on the assumption that they were living in the promised land that they were living in the land that God had given to them, that it was theirs on oath, and now they find themselves on foreign soil attempting to figure out what this all means, wondering if God still loves them, if they are still in covenant with God, if there's still this tie in the relationship between God and God's people. Or if everything has changed, if God is now absent and God is now gone and God is now onto something else, we have this shift between Isaiah 1 through 39 and 40 through 55. There's also another shift in 56 through 66, but that's an even uh, further context where now the people are back from exile, and they're in the land, and they're looking around trying to figure out what to do now. But in this moment here, in, in the passage where we're um, thinking tonight on, in Isaiah 49, we have this moment, and, and the context is exile. The context is uh, displacement. The context is fear and anxiety and anger and bitterness. The context is doubting and, and worry and wonder what it all means, and where do we go from here? So in this passage, we have three distinct voices that are being raised. In the first voice, in in verse 13, it says, Sing heavens, rejoice earth, break out mountains. The reference there are are the cosmos, uh, the the elements of creation. Sing heavens, give give testimony, uh, rejoice earth, break out mountains with a song. You know I I love to do this little bit, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. This is one of my anecdotes that you guys know well. That first verb there, uh, sing heavens, is actually from the Hebrew root ranan. And some scholars would say that this is like uh, an ululation. It's um, less of a singing and more of a, a chanting or a... Uh, a raising of of a syllable over and over, so it's like a na 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 or if you'd rather prefer Sir Paul na 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 na. Hey Jude, he's just down the hallway sleeping. Na 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 nah. Hey Jude. And just because I love this joke, I'm going to do it again for any new people that have somehow found this teaching. Na 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 angel in the center, not appropriate for church. So we have this ululation, this, this chanting, this singing, this rejoicing, this breakout, because God has comforted God's people and taken pity on those who suffer. And in, in the second voice, we have a response from Zion that is personified. Zion uh, being this personification of, of Jerusalem or the city of David or the place where God dwells. It's a cipher for the people of, of, of Judah, I think is, is fair to say. And they respond the Lord has abandoned us. My Lord has forgotten me. This is going to be an important verb in, in the next line here. But the, we have this, this, this tension between sing, rejoice, break out, and then the people responding, why? I'm not comforted. Are you comforted? I'm not comforted. Are you comforted? the lord has abandoned me my god has forgotten me in fact i why why would we sing and rejoice that's like it's it's this cynical response of one who is filled with with doubt and their circumstances have completely shifted their understanding of the world and can you understand like why this passage is so meaningful because in the midst of of our circumstances and our struggle and our suffering we have a people that we can resonate with why like what's what's the comfort here what's what's going on here and i've i've been struggling to figure out how to frame this because i understand that like there's a difference between exile and the experience of exile in the 6th century and uh, what we're going through now, namely in the stay-at-home regulations and the quarantine and the fear that that we feel, but, but also there's there's marked similarities between these two because we are experiencing a quarantine and we are experiencing a loss of time and we are experiencing in some degree a displacement and we are experiencing a, a time of questioning and wondering and bitterness and anger and fear and Maybe getting to the place where we say, have you abandoned us? Have you forgotten us? Now, again, they're different. But for some people, actually, they're more similar because I'm not here to weight one over the other, especially for families that have lost loved ones. I'm not here to weight the differences either between exile and miscarriage or cancer or Loss of a family member. Like, if we're going to parse out who's suffering more, I, I really don't want to play play that game because what we see are people saying, "Sing, rejoice, and break out," and their response is, "No, he's gone. God has abandoned us. Has forgotten us." And then the third voice of of this passage in verse fifteen is is God, and and God begins to respond to the jadedness and the doubting of the people by placing this metaphor. And actually, if you wanna think about this, it's important for us to remind ourselves that any sort of God talk that we offer, it's metaphorical. It does not encompass the exhaustive nature of God. It is something that is, by definition, limiting. So when we think of God as rock and God as tower and God as shepherd and God as father, These are limiting metaphors that only give us some tastes of the character and the attributes of God. And I love this passage, and some of the reason why I have gone back to it is because it's provocative for many of us that are completely inundated with these masculine depictions of God. And what God chooses to use of God's self here is a nursing mother. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child? And before you want to begin to say, yeah, actually, uh, she can. The author is going to move us to a place of of rebuttal. Can a woman forget her nursing child and fail to pity the child of her womb? We want to say yes, and then, then the author comes back and says, even these may forget. I won't forget you. Some commentators want to remind us that the physiological nature of a breastfeeding mother, it's like her own body, will give her clues uh, to feed her child. I'm not the expert here, so... But it's important for us to remember this, that this image is, is it's expansive in its scope and it allows us to see God in a different way as a nurturing Loving caretaker, not as a cold, callous judge or lawmaker, but as one who feeds and supports and loves children, and this is the metaphor that comes back to the people in the midst of their, God has abandoned me, God has forsaken me, God has forgotten me. In verse 15, that same verb is used three times. Can a woman forget? Even Even these may forget. I will not forget. And it's like answering the rebuttal of verse 14, where the people say, God is gone, and God says, no, I'm not. And then in verse 16, Perhaps the reason why I keep coming back to this passage because there's been some key moments in my life where this verse has taken on real importance for me in helping me to reclaim and uh, remember who, who I am and how much God cares for me despite my circumstances. The, the verse says, look, on my palms I've inscribed you. I've tattooed you. I've marked you. Now, again, in in this passage, this is Zion, uh, but I think it's fair for us to extrapolate beyond that and to include not only our communities, but ourselves. Look, on my palms I've inscribed you. Your walls are continually before me. And now here we do we do revert back to this anthropomorphized city that's been destroyed. And God is saying, I, you're here, I know you. And the walls that have been decimated, I know that they need to be rebuilt and they will be rebuilt. They're before me continually. I have not forgotten you. You are written on the palm of my hand, your walls, your your." I don't want to diminish this to the point of saying your problems, but your situation, it's before me continually. I understand. I know. I've heard. I will respond. Throughout this pandemic, I've heard some really atrocious theological takes on what's happening Some people refer to this as God's judgment on people, and then some even go on to specify the people groups that have brought on this global judgment. Other people will use phrases that they've memorized and sort of throw them out there callously like, this is God's will, and we hear that stuff not just in the midst of a a pandemic, but we hear that in the midst of Uh, miscarriage and death and we hear that in the midst of perhaps even something as uh, grotesque as sexual assault and abuse and we hear people that don't know any better say this is God's will for you and I just want to say that isn't true if we gain any sort of character of God from this passage it's one who says can a nursing mother forget child. You're inscribed on the palm of my hand. I know you. Your walls are before me. And I don't have the answers as to why things are happening. I don't have the answers to um, what is is going on here. But I at least can offer this, that this isn't a judgment or a test. This isn't meant for us to learn something. This isn't uh, happening so that Um, That families, especially for the families where they have lost loved ones already or they are being separated from their loved ones, where their exile is more uh, literal in the sense of this displacement. This isn't God's doing. This isn't God's will for you or for your loved one. That doesn't make sense to the full character of God that we receive in the Bible. And while these well-meaning people might have theological takes from things that they've heard and gathered, I just don't think they're right. Because they don't make sense. A loving God would not bring on a miscarriage. A loving God would not send cancer to your spouse or to your child. A loving God would not inflict these sorts of things on the people to accomplish some part of that loving God's will. I think it's better for us to to sort of step back and in the midst of our own struggles to remember that it can be true that God has not forgotten us, that God has not abandoned us, that God has not forsaken us, That we are inscribed on the palms of God's hands and yet there is something happening around us that is bigger than us and evoking fear in us and causing us to wonder what is happening without then saying that this is God's great plan for the world and for God's people. One of the things that has brought me more hope um, than many other things over the last seven years and the different circumstances that I have been through is the simple truth that God grieves with those who grieve. That God sees what is happening in the world and enters into the suffering with us. We see this most notably perhaps in the suffering of Jesus who is like us in in every way and suffered greatly so that we could have life. I'm hopeful that in the midst of this that our understanding of God is not being so distorted we feel our theology can only hold weight if we say things like this is God's will, or this is God's judgment, or this is God's doing. Perhaps rather it would be more uh, beneficial for us to say there are some things that we don't understand and that we don't know, but what we do know is God grieves with those who grieve that God cannot forget us like a nursing mother cannot forget her child and that we have been inscribed on the palms of God's hands. I don't know what it is that you're wrestling with in this moment. I don't know what it is that's causing you anxiety and grief and I don't know what it is that's causing you to be angry and to be bitter and I don't know what it is that's causing you to, to call into question some of these theological tenets that you have, but please never forget that wherever you are, God is with you, that God is at work through you and through the, the lives of people that are following after God to bring about hope and blessing to the world, that God cares for you and is concerned with you and has you written on the palm of his hand. There are so many things that we don't know, that we can't even begin to understand or predict or explain, but may we find hope in the knowledge that God is not inflicting Pain and suffering onto us, but like a nursing mother who cares for her children, God is comforting, nurturing, sustaining, and loving. May that be enough for now as we continue wrestling with the realities of our world and in the midst of that may we never tire of being the champions that God is calling to do work here and now for the people within our sphere of influence may we like Jesus serve our community well may we like Jesus love our neighbors well may we like Jesus empathize and enter into suffering with people well. May we, like Jesus, give sacrificially for their betterment. May we, like Jesus, put others before ourselves. May we, like Jesus, be agents of restoration and hope. When we are tempted to say, and when we do say, why God has forsaken God has abandoned. And we also hear praise God.